Hey, welcome to the Pachanga and Possibility Podcast, the podcast where we celebrate the power of healing and transformation. I am your host, Natalie Galsadilla. Each week, I'll be interviewing experts that will inspire you to discover your soul's purpose and create a fulfilling life. I'll also be sharing some spiritual coaching along the way and personal adventures as I enter this new phase in my life as a mother and entrepreneur. All right, mi gente, grab your cafecito and a notebook. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Pachanga and Possibility. Today, as a guest, I have invited Jessica Morose who is going to be talking about healing from sexual trauma. And on this episode, she is sharing her journey because she didn't have her memories of being abused until she was 37 and had kids of her own. And this is actually a very common occurrence where people have suppressed memories and some milestone in their life or something will occur like having their own children and memories will start to surface and you may not know what to do with them. And I just want her to share her story because the reality is, is that one in four girls have been sexually abused. One in six boys have been sexually abused. And this is an actual epidemic. It's, it's, it's a really big problem and not enough people are talking about it. But the point of this entire podcast is healing. And I want her to share her transformational story of how she went from receiving these memories and going and seeking help and what she did in her healing journey and the types of modalities that she did that helped her completely transform all of her post-traumatic stress syndrome that she had from what happened and just to hear everything that went on and what worked for her and what types of therapies because it wasn't just one, it was a variety of them. And I want to give you guys the tools and the stories if this is something that you can relate to. I will say that this episode has a trigger warning. And with that being said, if this episode triggers you severely, I want you to go to rain.org and that's rain with two N's. And that is a nationwide organization where you can call and get support immediately 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or talk to their live chat. So that is if you're in a severe spiral and trigger, if that happens, if you just have any trauma that you want to work through with a professional and you're ready to work through them, or you want to switch professionals, I recommend Dr. Tom Norris, who is on episode two of my podcast, and you can schedule sessions with him at innerlifetransformations.org. And again, that's innerlifetransformations.org. And he is an expert on sexual abuse, uh, 45 years plus of experience. That's He's probably as experienced as you get when it comes to credentials and 
having the years under his belt working with sexual abuse victims of all ages. So I just wanted to start off this episode by letting you know that we're going to get deep into this topic, but it's definitely inspiring. It's not going to be gory or anything like that. So it's not too explicit in the details, but it's just a difficult story, but it's definitely inspiring because of how she handled it. All of her aha moments and how she pieced everything together is really incredible. It's also fascinating from the perspective of how the mind works when dealing with trauma. So with that being said, I'm going to read you her bio. So Jessica Moroz has been working as a physical therapist assistant since 2001. She has done extensive work to heal from childhood sexual abuse, CPTSD, and a toxic childhood. Combining her experience in physical therapy with her continued education and trauma therapy, she founded the Get Better Place to help support adult women survivors on their healing path. Jessica advocates an approach that offers the support and tools for self-led healing, believing that women intuitively know how to heal. Due to trauma and shame, survivors have been conditioned to silence their inner wisdom. Her mission is to provide women with a trauma-informed lifestyle community offering support, resources, education, inspiration, and encouragement to tap into their own intuitive healer, making each woman the hero of their own journey. Jessica has also partnered with Bilma Ricciuti and Christy Martin on a women's empowerment group called Divine Feminine Alchemy Circle, where they dive into healing and spirituality tools such as Reiki, breathwork, dream interpretation, inner child work, human design, EFT, and meditations. The group is designed for women to explore growth and transformation with other like-minded women in a safe and uplifting space. Jessica is also a lover of trees. Without any further ado, here is Jessica. Welcome, Jessica, to the show. I am so happy to have you here. We met recently, and it's been nothing but magic since we've met and been interacting with each other. You've created some pretty amazing things already. We both we met each other after we finished our business coaching program with Kathy Heller last year and we didn't know we were in each other's in the class together because it was a class of almost 400 and I'm so happy that now is when we that we were able to connect and and just really be a part of each other's communities. I was really touched by your personal healing story. I wanted you to really share with the audience what you've been through and what has worked for you on your personal healing journey with trauma and how now you have stepped into supporting other women with their healing journey and what are the different ways? Because I know you have your business and you have another, the, another project that we're going to get into both of those things. But a lot has occurred as a result of you going through your healing experience and now on the other side, helping other women. So I just 
thank you so much for for your bravery, for everything that you're doing. I know a lot of women are going to be able to relate to you and it's going to be inspiring. It's just, this is what this work is about. And this is really what the podcast is about is to show what's possible after you've gone through the healing journey and even actively because we're, I feel like we're always healing. It's going to be like a lifelong thing because things always come up and life can be very difficult. But when you're conscious about what's going on and you take a step in the direction towards feeling better and find all of these tools that can support you, your life can drastically improve. So I just really want to bring a lot of these healing stories to the general public to just know what's possible, that relief is 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 real like this can really happen for you so please tell us where did your healing journey begin okay so thank you natalie for that wonderful introduction making me very relaxed and calm now appreciate it (laughs) um it's you know it's been great like you said it's just been wonderful meeting you and you know being introduced to shamanic wisdom and on my spiritual journey here but um i'm jessica and i began my healing really from childhood sexual abuse when I turned 37. So I'm 41 now. It's been about four and a half years. When I was, I had no recollection of having been sexually abused. So to give you a little backstory, I was born to, you know, two parents who had mental illness. My father left the um, Navy. He was a dishonorable discharge. He had no, yeah, exactly. Um, he had no, um, you know, work ethic or responsibility. His mother was married eight times. Um, so he, he didn't have much guidance. By the time he came around, she pretty much just let him run the streets. And then I had my mother who never really, she was born to a premature to parents that were older. They were like 40 when they had her. So at that time, that was, you know, a big deal. And I believe she was abused, although she wouldn't say that. So I'm, I'm born to these parents who have been traumatized themselves, as a lot of people are. This is not a rare story by any means. And we moved around a lot. And by the time I was six, my father, I caught him with a neighbor <laughs> kissing her you know, told my mom, she didn't believe me. And then um, shortly after that, he says, I don't want a family. We lived in Texas at the time, um, Austin, Texas. And he's like, I don't want a family. This is according to my mom. And so we moved to Indiana to live with her parent. And so we lived with them for a short time and then got a place close by to them. But I didn't hear from my dad for a while. And then he would just show up out of the blue, but he would never stick around. He would leave, come back, leave, come back. And when he would leave, he wouldn't say goodbye. He would just disappear and you wouldn't know where he was for a couple of years. And then he'd show back up, you know, and he always did it in this dramatic fashion, just show up in the middle of the night or call you out of the blue. My mother lost her parents when they were, I think I was like eight when my grandpa died and around nine when my grandma died. And I, I, I remember feeling nothing. I didn't really feel anything when they died. I wasn't sad. I wasn't happy. There's just no feeling. If I, if I look back on it. So my mom struggled with a lot and I was a parentified child because she put a lot on me, not having anyone. She would tell me all her emotional stuff and dating and, you know, she would drink and I'd have to like take care of her sometimes. And this isn't about, I want to make clear, it's not about demonizing her because the healing work that I've done, I see why my parents were the way they were. 
I see how trauma and abuse and neglect and lack of love and just lack of being shown how to live, it affects everything. And so I look back and think, you know, how would I have felt if my husband left me and my parents never treated me well and then they died and I had no one and I didn't get child support. You know what I mean? It would have been a tough. So it's not about demonizing her. However, from a child's perspective, it still impacts you how it impacts you. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's, I think we live in a society where we always want to blame someone. And sometimes it's not about blame. It's just things happen. The feelings are complicated because you can love and hate a person. I believe it's a thin line between love and hate. They say that for a reason. So anyway, I grew up, I went through a kind of a wild phase in high school, had an eating disorder for a while until I took up exercise and learned how to eat right. And then I started working and exercising a lot. And that's when I really got better. But I did go through a phase where I was kind of wild and I was promiscuous for about a year, year and a half. And then I just thought, you know what? I'm not enjoying this. This is not, I'm not happy. I'm not proud of myself. I just felt really low. So then I kind of started exploring more religion, even though I had already kind of grown up religious and was like, okay, church is the way, you know, so many people think. And so I tried churches and I was like, this is these are all terrible. Like this is not, it just wasn't working for me. You know, I tried several and I was just like, eh, this isn't it. So really it was a lot of just exercise and kind of just exploring different things. But a lot of it was just dreaming. I think manifestation, I wanted so bad to escape. I always wanted to escape my mother from my earliest memories. At 18, I left and I had met my husband and we'd been dating and we ended up living together for a while and then we got married and I did. I started a new life and everything was better and I went to college for physical therapy. I became a PTA, started working at that. We built a house, had kids, you know, it's like life was good. I did deal with, I went to counseling to deal with my mother and had to set limits with her. That was tough. It took a long time. It took having kids to really put limits on that, on her behavior to set boundaries. And I always thought it was weird that I couldn't do it for myself, but I could do it for my kids. I think that's so common It is for women. You know, we can't do it for ourselves, but we do it for everyone else. And so um, sign of codependency. I started to realize like as a young adult and having children and just growing into an, an adult that I had a lot of memories a lot of gaps in my memory. And I remember thinking, this is weird. Like, I don't remember a lot of things. But you kind of think to yourself, like, how you think and how you feel is how everybody does until people start talking to you. So I remember hearing my husband and his mother talking about their kindergarten teachers. And they're like, they remember their names. They remember details. And they were like naming them first, second, third. And I'm like, what is wrong with them? Not what's wrong with me. I'm like, what's wrong with them? And so I thought about it. I can't remember a teacher till I was in like fifth grade. Maybe I have a little bit of fourth, I, I think, but I couldn't say for sure. I think. I'm not even sure if it was my teacher. It's a teacher. But really, fifth grade is the first grade that I remember having a teacher. And I thought, boy, that's strange. And so I just like these little things started to come up. And so one day I was at work and I'm asking all the patients, I'm like, you remember your kindergarten teacher? Now these are older people. I work with geriatrics and you know, most of them did. Wow. And that was really eye-opening for me because I thought this isn't just my husband and his mom. This is everybody. <laughs> Something's wrong with me. So I started to like try to figure out why I couldn't remember so much. And I came up with, it was stress because cortisol levels affect your brain and they can actually make your hippocampus shrink up to 10%. And that's the memory center of the brain. I'm being very simplistic here. And so I thought, okay, that's it. 
it was stress. Case solved, you know, and I went about my life. Well, something about having kids starts triggering your own childhood trauma. And I feel like there's so many things that no one ever tells us. We learn all these English and biology and all, I mean, all this stuff is great, but we don't really learn how to live. We don't learn about emotional intelligence. We don't learn how to deal with our shit. We don't learn how to talk to one another. I mean, there's just so many things that we don't know. You know, you don't know that when you have a baby, everybody's going to judge you (laughs) and tell you, you know, or you should be working or you shouldn't be working or you're breastfeeding, ew, or you're not breastfeeding. You don't love your kid. Like I was just shocked at how judgy your baby's too. It's not potty trained. What the hell's wrong with you? It was just, you know, there's so many things that you don't learn. And I think if when we lived in tribes and we lived connected, we did learn these things, but we don't anymore. You know, now it's like every man for himself, every woman for herself. So I just started to little, it's like my subconscious would just give me little bit. And I'd sit and think about it for a little bit. When I was 32, my daughter would have been four. I had my first memory of having been sexually abused, but I didn't know for sure if that's what it was. I was sitting and just out of the blue, I, I can visually see myself and I'm facing this guy in a bathtub and I'm touching him and he's very happy and he's laughing. And then the next mental image I have is me outside of my body and I'm looking at myself and him. It's like I'm in the doorway of the bathroom looking at two other people, but it was me. And that's really, that's it. That's all the memory. I knew his name. His name came with it, his full name, but that was it. I didn't have any more to go on. And I thought, well, that's odd. Why would I be looking at myself out of my body. At this time, I just didn't have any clue. I didn't know. And so, of course, I start like, part of me knew. Part of us always knows. But part of me was like, no. It's like, you know, you see the, the cartoons with the want the bad devil and then like the angel. It's like, we have these parts. And so one part deep down knew. And I remember thinking, and I kept like repeating this in my head, you've always known this. You've always known this. But where was it? You've always known it. But yet it's like you put it away. But where, where'd it go? It was just, I just kept thinking that, you know, what do you do in these days? You look up their name and I did. And when I found a picture of him, he had two little toddlers in his arm and I just, my whole body reacted and I could feel like from here, it felt like I was going to throw up and it was immediate. It's like my, and I thought that's not normal. I've never experienced anything like this. And that made me know I was pretty sure he had done something. But then of course you have that part of you again that comes in is like, well, you don't know that. And maybe there's a logical explanation and yada, yada, yada. So I call my mom, which I didn't want to do because my mother is what you would call a poor historian in medical terms. She has a tendency to exaggerate things or make them fit. You know, I don't know. She's just not always the most, or she gets upset out of the blue, but you know, I got myself together and I called her and I said, do you know this guy? And she's like, yeah. I said, did I ever take a bath with him? And she said, yeah. Like it was no big deal. And I said, did I tell you that I took a bath with him? She said, yeah. I said, didn't you think that was strange? No, he was like the nicest guy ever. And then she went on for like 20 minutes about how he's the best human on the planet, the best person she's ever known in her whole life. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. Like it was just like, there's nobody better than this man. The most godly man. He was part of the church, by the way. Aren't they always? It's It's like a smokescreen. That's how I view it. Not that they're all bad, but, and we'll go over signs later. But my thing Mm -hmm. is, like, I teach my kids is like, if you have a grown man who's constantly wanting to be around children and he's not really wanting to interact with adults, 
he's looking for reason to babysit kids. What men do that? Not, not very many, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I think he saw in my parents that they were, they can spot Is, a predator. A predator can spot the vulnerable. Yeah, the yeah, that's their, they have a, a radar for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Does your mom have a diagnosis or she's undiagnosed? She, again, she's a poor historian. You know, I don't really want to go in too much about. We don't have to. Yeah, yeah, her, we don't have to disclose her. Personal, her it's it's know, just the part of like know. her finding it absolutely normal. I'm like, this has to be the result of her not being okay herself to not be yeah. able to spot the ginormous right. red flag, which is how you end up in a crazy situation because she just wasn't okay and didn't see. Yes. And you know, this is tricky because part of it, this is my story. So I mm. am entitled to tell it. Right. Especially, and not especially, especially when I know that there are so many people that are going through it and very few people are talking about it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I want to be considerate of her. So it's difficult, but she has, I'm certain, is borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And it's what it basically is, is like, you know how you hear of bipolar? Mm-hmm. Instead of the intense highs and the intense lows over periods of time, it's minute to minute. They, we can be talking here, just we're fine, everything's good. You're a F and B, you know. It's like she starts calling you names, and you're like, "What did I do?" You don't even know. It could be anything. It's mm-hmm. they can't regulate their emotions, and they don't have that impulse control. So I don't mean to get you no off track from your story, right. but I was just like, you know, those moments where you sit there yeah. as a mom, and you're like, "How can this happen?" And it's to really show people like this happens because the hurt people hurt people, and they just don't know they have their own trauma and they're unable to see what would be an obvious flag <laughs> to a right. normal person. Well, but in your reaction and your face, when I said it, mm-hmm. that's so reassuring because there's still a part of you. There's a part of me as a mother that was saying the same thing. Like, Oh my God, I can't imagine any grown man taking a bath with my children. But then there's that part of you that's still the little girl And that's your mom. And she's telling you, even though I knew at this point I had done a lot of work with, you Mm -hmm. know, dealing with her, there's still that little part of you that's like, I don't know, you know, maybe mom's right, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. And so it's, it, for me, it's the blessing of my life is that for some reason, and it can be a blessing and a curse, I see every side to everything. Sometimes it can make things really overwhelming because I'm not just picking a side and going with it. I'm, I'm looking at every, but I think it has to do with, that's how I survived. That's how Mm -hmm. I, that's what I lived with. And I had to figure out everybody's motives and who was going to hurt me and, and why they did what they did. And it was just like, I was trained to do that. And coupled with probably being a highly sensitive person genetically too, but. So let's jump back in the the timeline. So you're on the phone with your mom. She's like, oh yeah, this guy's amazing. Blah, blah, blah. And what happens next? So, you know, I, I kind of said, I think it's odd that a grown man would take a bath with someone's child. I was still trying to come back to that. And she's like, oh, you know, he had, he had a daughter too. So it was okay. (laughs) Yes. That's yeah. And, um, it was hippie times because, you know, it was like 1983 or four. Mm -hmm. She had all the answers. And so I shared with her that I looked him up and in every picture, he's got a little kid. 
in his arms. And that I thought that was weird. Well, so I let it go, but it just started stirring something in me. And so I started to kind of, I even did a background check on him, couldn't find anything. And this is the thing I've learned. There are so many sexual offenders out there that have never been caught. Mm-hmm. So many, probably more than half. Mm-hmm. So just because they don't have a record means nothing. I think the last statistic was one in four people have been sexually abused. It was yeah. like one in four one in four Women. girls and one in six boys. boys like you. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling girlfriends, my childhood was horrible, but at least I was never sexually abused. Wow. I didn't have a clue. Now there were times sometimes that like a little, those little bit of my subconscious would come up and say, yeah, but why did you cry the first time a boy touched you? Or, you know, what was that about? That was weird. It's almost like there was a part of me that kind of wanted to tell me, but that conscious part of me that was defending was like, nope, I just reasoned out of it. Well, you did kind of go through a promiscuous phase. Oh, well, that's because your dad left. That doesn't have anything to do with it. But, you know, there's a part of me that was like, well, maybe I was as I got older. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I've always been into psychology because I was always learning about my dad and dad's pretty much antisocial personality disorder. Lie, cheat, steal, conduct disorder at an early age, just bad. And then here's my mom. And so I was trying to figure out all of them. So I've always been really interested. And then um, this comes along. So 32, there's that memory. I kind of have it in the back of my head. I kind of look him up every so often. Never can find anything. He's married. He has kids. He has grandkids. Yeah. So then um, I even think about sending anonymous letters to his family. I mean, this is all these weird things go through your head. Because then you're worried it's happening to other kids. Of course. So we moved to Florida in 2015 and, and let's see, as soon as we moved here, I started having memories of my childhood of Texas. When I lived in Texas, we lived in Texas till I was six. And I thought that was odd. And then it occurred to me that the weather was similar from Austin to Florida. And I remember I would look at the clouds and think, oh yeah, I loved looking at these clouds as a kid. And so I think in Austin, I spent a lot of time looking at the clouds and loving the weather. And also we had lived in California when I was a baby too. So here we had lived in more like sunny, tropical. And so moving here started to bring a lot of that back. And at first it was just like, oh, well, that's interesting. And I remembered a little bit. Well, then one day I'm driving to go see some girlfriends. Um, It's a seven hour drive driving from Southern Florida up to Panama City area. I shouldn't say not as Southern as you, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm about an hour and a half, two hours away from getting there. And I'm on the road and I'm driving and I see this white van pass. And you know, that body reaction I told you I had to that guy. I always kind of had a little bit of that with white vans. Like I just feared them. I didn't know why I'd go in a parking lot. I'd go to like pull in and park next to it. And I wouldn't I'd be like, oh, find a different spot. It was just like I had this fear. Like people have fears of snakes or fear of spiders. I had a fear of white fans. It just made me feel queasy. So, and I always thought that was weird, but I didn't know what it was. So I asked myself, you know, why do you hate white vans? And then and here's this memory out of nowhere. And it's the same guy, but I'm in bed with him and I'm naked and he's naked. And he gets up out of the bed. The bed seems huge to me. This must have been my child's perspective, but it right, seems like this huge. Yeah. You're younger than six because you're still in the warmer client. Yeah. Yes. Climate. So I'm like, wow, this bed is huge, but I'm like frozen stiff. And I'm just like, I can't say anything and I can't move. And my thought is, I know this is a secret, but I don't want to be here. That was the thought that came. Mm-hmm. 
with the memory. And then I see him get up. And I, my thought is he's getting up to check a noise to make sure no one's coming. And he's naked. And he's, he gets up and I see his lanky, tall, naked body stretched out to get off the bed and go out the door to check. But I'm just like sitting there stiff as a board. At that moment, I knew that I had been abused. The actual abuse was not, didn't come, but just that state of mind and that imagery and that much of the memory, I realized that I had been abused and I lost it. And with I just being crying and crying, it's like, it's like also, how do I put it? It's kind of like all this stuff happens and we can't deal with it at the time because first of all, when you're that little, you can't self-soothe anyway. You have to have a parent. And if they're not, not acknowledging it, you have to, you have to be able to trust that they're going to take care of you. Well, how do you do that? What you do is you deny your own emotions and your own self for survival because survival always trumps anything else. And so I just put it away and ignored it. I mean, I don't know how it's done exactly, but it's pretty amazing. It's, but it comes due. What you don't deal with at the time has a cost later. And it affected my trust. It had affected my, my self-esteem. It had affected so many things through the years, but I kind of compensated. But then, you know, I have children and it's, you're thinking about protecting them and it starts to come back and my daughter's that age. And, and then this other trigger of moving to Texas and the weather's the same and then the white van. And it was just, I also think there was a part of me that was ready to see it. I think there are people that will never deal with it because I think your body has to feel like it can. And in order to do that, you have to have support and resources. So a woman, let's say that has no support, no friends, no family, no husband that's good to her. Maybe he's an abuser. You know, there's so many different. She will never let it come up. That's my belief because it is, imagine this flood. It's like a dam and you just open it all this. When I... I went to my friends. I cried a lot, tried to put it aside as best I could, but it was just on my mind. I came home, shared it with my husband, shared it with a friend here. She didn't want to hear it at all. She really shut me down. And being in a new place, she was a newer friend, but she was the closest I had. Mm -hmm. It might have been too much given a new relationship. Well, we had been here like a year and a half and we bought a house to be near Mm -hmm. them. Oh, okay. I, it wasn't no. brand new. It wasn't like a, a two weeks in or anything. Right. Unless she also was a victim and didn't want to go there or uncon or maybe, you know what I mean? Like there's so many yeah. reasons. Oh, there's so happen. many. Yes. Yeah. In hindsight, I think just in their family growing up, they didn't talk about emotions a lot. It's all good time. And, and it, up to this point, I hadn't really been needy or sad. I just was like, yeah, let's have a good time. You know, let's have a dinner party. Let's go see a movie. Let's go for a walk. And I remember her saying to me, like, I want happy Jess back. Where's happy Jess? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Validate anything that was going on. It was too much for her. <laughs> and then she even like, I tried to, I had just come back and I was just like, I'm pretty good about testing the waters to see. And so I just kind of like, this is what happened. I could just tell it was just very much withdrawal. She came home from visiting her family and apparently they had had a child molester in their family that had died. And he was like a distant uncle or something that they weren't around a lot, but he had molested some people in their family and her sisters were discussing it. And she said to me, why do people need to talk about this? No one needs to be talking about this. This is not appropriate. And she says this to me as I'm like dealing with my own stuff. But I felt like that was a passive aggressive way of saying, don't talk about it. Well, now I look back and I see it for what it is. There are some people that just will never be able to deal with it. They don't go deep. They have their own shame. They have their own triggers. Who knows? Doesn't matter. But at the time I was so raw, it felt just like being denied as a child. I didn't realize it at the time though. You know what I mean? My husband was good to me, but I just shut down. I withdrew from him. I I behaved the same way I had behaved when I was a child. I retreated and withdrew. 
I hid. I slept. I got through the day. I went to work. I went through the motions. But as soon as I was home, I was emotionally checked out. I stopped getting on Facebook and messaging friends or calling friends or occasionally I'd go out with people, but not much. I just got to where I just wanted to be alone. And so my husband and I started to grow apart because we had always been pretty close, but, and I, I didn't have any words to tell him because I didn't even know. I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going through PTSD and, you know, I'm behaving the way I was. No, I had no words. At the time, it was just very much like he would touch me and I would lock up. And mentally, I knew this is my husband. I'm safe. My body was not having it. I would just go like this and I would just lay in bed as stiff as a board and like scared to death. And it was like, I had never had that before. So it's like with the memory came back all the feelings and it's like, I had to feel them again. So he started, we started to get pretty distant and I think he was just getting frustrated with me and he got to where he just started acting like he really didn't care. I mean, I think he thought that I had given up on him because I wasn't telling him what was wrong with me. Every time he touched me, I'd lock up, but I didn't give him an explanation. Do you know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. He didn't understand what was happening. Mm -mm. And it's not like I even said to him, oh, hey, I'm doing this because of the memories. Or I didn't know at the time. Wow. I had no verbal. But yeah, you didn't the have the vocabulary yet to right. describe exactly what was happening and how it was playing out. You didn't have all of the information that you have now. So imagine he must have, he doesn't understand, you don't understand. And right. naturally... You know. Right. And what do we do when we think someone's rejecting us and has emotionally checked out on us? We defend ourselves. So he just kind of started taking care of himself and stopped touching me because why touch me if I'm just going to curl up in a ball? Basically, I was just reenacting how I felt as a child, I think. One day, I was especially upset. There were days I would cry for six hours straight. Wow. There were days I would be treating patients and I would be crying. And I'm going to share this story because I think it's important because when women do the work and they come out, that's partly why I shared the story about my friend too. And it's not about, mm -hmm. not about coming down on her either because she yeah. has her reason. Mm -hmm. But when you're raw, it feels re-traumatizing. Mm -hmm. And so a better thing for her to say would have been, you know, I really don't feel equipped to deal with this. This is too much for me, but I do want to support you as best I can in ways that I can. I, you know, I can go for a walk with you and just be with you, but I really can't listen to it. That would be a better way. But again, people don't, people don't have the words. They don't even understand it themselves. And it's just a knee jerk. So I had a really, I was crying, crying, crying. And it's like a dam. And I, I remember thinking, how can I cry anymore? I've been crying for six hours. I didn't even know that was humanly possible. Like, I've got to stop soon. One day, the emotions were so bad. I got triggered at work. So this is the story I'm going to tell. So I'm at work. I work in a physical therapy clinic with a PT. It was just the two of us at the time. And a patient comes in with her husband. Well, I had been having some dealing with memories from my grandparents because I realized that my grandfather had abused me as well. And the way, that's my mother's dad. And the way that that came up was through dreams, hence the dream work that I did. Um, I would have dreams all the time where I was a baby and he would be like over me or he'd be grabbing my butt. Or at one point he even had like, a, I think it would probably would have been my cousin who was older. He's like, grab her butt, pinch it. And as a baby in the dream, I'm like climbing into myself like this until like I disappear like stars. Mm -hmm. And I, I just kept having these repeated dreams. Of, but it wasn't my grandpa in the dream. It was just a guy with a hat and a flannel. That's all I could see. This is after I dealt with the first one. This is the second one. I started like throughout the day, I would just think of my grandparents' house. And I would think, you know, I really don't. I remember every room in that house, but there's no bedroom. It's like a black hole. And I thought, that's odd. But this is how it came up, very slow. It wasn't like, oh, hey, here's the abuse and here's everything that happened. 
I still don't remember the worst parts of it. My brain has completely won't go there or it completely shut down. It was just like these little fragments. I'm at work. This guy comes in with this lady and I smell this my grandparents' house and I just, my whole body just lost it. And I started like feeling like I was going to die and like my stomach and I thought I was going to throw up and my heart's racing. And I'm like, just like, I can't do this. So then I, I asked my PT person that worked with me to see the patient. I said, can you put her on your schedule? I can't do it. And he said, sure, you never asked me to do that before, sure. So later he puts her on my schedule. I ended up leaving because he was very hot and cold. And so I, I asked him about it. I said, well, why did you put her on my schedule? He goes, well, I don't want to smell her either. <laughs> I said, do you know, what? I think he was just trying to be funny. Like, I said, do you know what PTSD is? He goes, yeah. I said, clearly you don't. You clearly do not know what it is. And I lost, I start crying and I'm already, because I had explained to him, you know, I have reasons. You had, uh-huh. I told him, this is triggering to me. Mm-hmm. I'm crying. This is a Friday and I'm, I'm like losing it. So I come home and Monday I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to him. I come in Monday. He has put her, her back on his schedule. And I said to him, I said, I see you put her back on my schedule. And he goes, he goes, yeah. He goes, I said, I said, we need to talk about this. He goes, no, we don't. He said, I looked it up. I saw it. It's not just war veterans. It's women too. Women actually have it more than men. So basically what he was saying was he thought it was just war veterans that had PTSD and I was full of shit. But when he looked it up and did some research over the weekend, he realized Mm -hmm. women have, yeah, because he's, you know, he's an older guy, but this is the thing. Nobody really understands that it's women are twice as likely to have it than a man. Mm hmm. And it's true. War veterans, you know, we only think war veterans and it's not like that. And it can be young, old, male, female. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be that a bomb went off and exploded somebody in front of you. It can be very subtle and create really lifelong issues. Well, and it could be something, too, that someone would say, well, I wouldn't handle it like that. You don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. We are not supposed to be judging other people's how they react. You Thank God that at least he had like the know? decency to Google it and to want to understand. And even if it was just to prove you wrong or to call you on BS, but just the fact that he yes. looked something up and came back and did something about it. Like that is It nice. is. But I think it was because he saw my reaction. Mm-hmm. I was in tears. I mean, I was just a mess. And I think that's why. When I saw, because I just saw the callousness and I just lost it. And so I think that's why he went home because he, you couldn't deny someone can tell you something, but when you visually see. Right. The physical response to the trauma and you're in it and they right. don't understand then even right. that. Yeah. So, so anyway, I only share that because I think that every survivor, I guess what a lot of people call us, we are going to encounter people who are going to do that to us. It doesn't mean they're evil. It doesn't mean they're horrible people. They just don't know. They're not what I call trauma informed or they're triggered themselves. They can't deal with feelings of vulnerability, shame, whatever it is. And so you just have to find people that can people that have been there, maybe that are just a couple steps ahead, find support group, find, talk to your family, ask them to educate themselves, ask them to read some of the science. This is not just, and you know this, but this is not just, it's not a memory. It's not like you just think of something and it's unpleasant. It affects your physiology. It affects everything. Mm-hmm. It affects your, like I said, your hippocampus can shrink up to 10% in size. That's a physical change. Your amygdala can grow. And that's your fear. What do you call it? Like your smoke detector, like looking mm-hmm. for, for fear. It's going to be looking, it's going to be hyper vigilant, 
looking mm-hmm. for threat. The left side of your brain kind of goes dormant during severe trauma. So you have no words. Mm. It's all feelings. It's all sensations. And if you think of like a baby, a baby has no, if you remembered something as a baby, it would just be feelings. It wouldn't be words because you didn't have no right. words at the time. Exactly. And so, you know, I learned all of this, but I just couldn't get enough. I was trying to figure out how to get better, but I knew talk therapy wasn't going to do it. I don't know how I knew. I just knew it was intuitive. And so at this point, so if we could to get on a, on the timeline, you've gotten the memories about the first abuser. You've gotten memories about the second abuser. At this point, you, you haven't sought professional help yet. So pardon me, but, um, that's another thing trauma does is it messes with your time, your timeline. Okay. I have ADHD and I am, I have a hard time keeping. I'm sure you figured that out by now. <laughs> um, I'm fidgety and I'm like, I have a hard time staying grounded. Sometimes they're better than others, but no, the first one, I haven't had the second one yet. I sought care after the first one. Okay. And when you sought care, what was, how, what was that like? Like, what was the moment? Like, all right, I have my memories, the first set of memories. I'm having this physical response. Things are not making sense. You were not, you and your husband were like drifting apart. Yes. Okay. What was that internal dialogue of like, I need to get help. And where did you go? And what did you do? Okay. Thank you for bringing me back. I may need you to do that for me again. So I appreciate it. I'm crying, crying, crying. Throw the work part in there because I was thinking about all the crying I was doing at work. Luckily, I had wonderful patients and sometimes I would be like, I'm sorry, I'm emotional today. And then I would just play it off. I remember coming home and I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't take it. And I thought, I can't take this emotional distress. Like it was, it's like physical pain and you can't get away from it. I was sitting in the bathroom and I'm just like, how do I calm myself? And I see these pair of scissors and I just start scraping my legs. And so I, I started doing that. It took my mind off of the emotional. It's not, we're not trying to hurt ourselves. Like I, I I worked in healthcare. I did a lot of wound care. So I knew Mm -hmm. not to cut myself too deep that I'd get an infection. It was just enough to feel it. Mm -hmm. It was just like, it's the cutting when the pain is so, when the emotional pain is so deep, you start cutting to to as a distraction, it's like almost it's like yes, the lesser evil is the physical pain from the cutting than the emotional pain of whatever you're experiencing. It makes yes. a lot of sense in a very tense way. It's difficult, I think, for people to understand, but it's it's mm-hmm. kind of like the gate theory too, where your brain, if it has two different stimulus, it'll drown out one will drown out the other. It's like when a kid mm-hmm. wants you to kiss their boo boo or rub their boo boo. Doesn't mm-hmm. really do anything, but it gives them a different thing to think about. Mm-hmm. So, so I was cutting and I did this for a few weeks, just when it got really bad. And I was like, okay, this is a relief method. So one day I'm in the shower and we have a shower door that's closed, but for some reason, my husband came in and opened the door and saw, and he's like, okay, you're going to go get help. You're going to, we're taking you to inpatient. And, and I'm like, no, I had been an inpatient when I was 14. It was awful. They didn't help me one iota. It was like two weeks of nothing. And I was like, no. I don't want to have to go. It's not going to help me. So I promised I would go get help. I'll make an appointment and I'll go get help. Now, I had been thinking to myself, I was going to fix myself. Reading books on trauma. And why did I do that? Here's another thing. Because as a child, I couldn't ask anyone for help. I had to do it myself. And so I was, again, I was emotionally back in that place. And that's the thing, like, I, I keep coming back to, like, I want people to realize when you're acting these this kind of way, that's why. It's not because you kind of go back, you revert back to how it was. And so you can't 
depend on anyone. You don't even know what to ask for because you don't have the words. And so I had come across in a book about EMDR and I thought this intuitively, I thought, this is it. I'm going to do this. And, but I couldn't get myself to call until that day when I promised him that I would call. And so that's, that's when I began my journey. So what made me do it? I had to. <laughs> right. He this caught you. It was that or inpatient. So you right. had to go to EMDR and you had already had the EMDR seed planted from something you read earlier. Yeah. Perfect. So what is EMDR and how did that work out for you? EMDR is, it was founded by a lady named Francine Shapiro and she was walking in the park one day and you go right, left eye, you know, her, her eyes were going back and forth and she realized she felt better. So then she started playing around with it and founded this program. And it's at first, a lot of people didn't take it seriously because it's basically you're tracking the eyes left and right. Basically what it is, is you, if you think about REM sleep, how your eyes go back and forth. It integrates your right brain, left brain. So earlier I was talking about how during trauma, your right brain's online going, you've got the feelings, you've got the images, but like your left brain is not online. And that's the time factor. That's the logic. That's the, you know, you think of like your verbal, that kind of thing. So EMDR takes you back to the event and puts your right and left brain back online. And you also, when you go back to the event, it puts you in that state of a child but now you're also an adult. So like as a child, you store the memory, like this is my fault. I'm bad. I'm dirty. What did I do wrong? Something's wrong with me. As an adult, you go back and you look at this little child and you go, oh my God, it wasn't your fault. Look how little you are. He's an adult. He's the bad guy. And so you basically, you re-encode the memory and you also have to like feel all the feelings too and kind of release them. Then you re-encode the memory. And then when you're done, you like, you diffuse the memory. So first, every time I would think about being in bed with him, it was like vomit, sick, feeling the way I felt. It's like, I just, you just keep reliving it by going back and kind of living it to completion, feeling it through and seeing it from that adult perspective and also having a witness in her and my adult self, let that child be seen too and validated at that point. The belief is now I didn't deserve this. And now the brain knows it's over because the time part's online now. It recognizes it as a past event instead of just thinking this is still happening to me. Interesting. So now I can think about him and that event and I feel nothing. I don't just get upset. Wait. You're able to speak about it and not get upset and now be in a place of being able to help other women because it's been all of those bombs have been diffused and they're right. no longer the humongous triggers so you can function now. Right. But the problem is that until we get help, you can't do it alone. Let me just say that. Anybody thinks they can, you cannot. Mm -hmm. If it could be done, I would have done it. <laughs> you have to have help. Like we're social beings and that's how we're designed to be. And so you have to get help. It's a must. And then also there are lots of different types of therapy. Talk therapy will not do the trick. I would tell anyone. You can go to someone and talk to them, but they better have some other modalities somatic therapy it has to be a body-based practice emdr checks into your body how does it feel you don't have to do emdr you can do other things you can do yoga yoga has been found to be very effective find a yoga therapist work with someone and do yoga. there's lots of different things the inner child work the journaling connecting to your inner child because those parts do get stuck the subconscious works on its own in the background and our conscious it kind of like it's like a gatekeeper nope that's not getting in Oh, no, that's not socially acceptable. 
So I think that by getting in touch with these subconscious feelings, but if we're do it, try to do it alone too, we get too scared. A therapist can say, hey, I'm with you. Take a break and ground you. It's like when I'm getting off and you're like, hey, let me help bring you back. You know, it's like we need that. But also we're very, when we haven't had it, we're so distrustful of it because of the attachment wound. We learn from a very young age that our needs aren't met. The world doesn't care. No one's going to help me. It's all on me. You have to override all that to even allow someone in to help you. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think this is, this is part of why I think it's important to learn the science and the reactions and to talk to people because other survivors that had been through it taught me more than anything because they know the nuances. It's not a textbook thing. Mm-hmm. They've been there. They've lived it. They can, there's all these little details as you can see. And so it just makes you feel seen and validated. And that's a huge part of healing. Where are we at? I'm sorry. <laughs> no, we're exactly where we need to be. <laughs> so did what other types of tools did you use? Was it only MDR? Did it evolve into other types of therapies? Like how did the rest of the healing journey evolve? Okay. So for me, I credit EMDR. I did that for about nine months and I had a lot of memories to process. So I would process one memory. I would be on top of the world. I'd feel lighter. I'd feel like I'm a new person. And it's really cool because like, let's say you have a belief. So I'll just give you this quick example. I believed I had to fix everyone. So anybody that came on my path, I can't find a job. I'm like, here, let me find you a job. And I'm looking up the you know, classifieds. I always use that example. Let me figure this out for you. Like it was just a compulsion. And so I went through an EMDR session where I, I identified all the memories where I thought I had to fix people and where every time it failed. And ultimately, I came back full circle and realized that I couldn't fix anybody. They had to fix themselves. And so at the end of that session, I t- basically I re-encoded all those memories. So now the belief is people fix themselves. Those beliefs that sit, they drive our behavior from behind the scenes. Does that make sense? So I had no compulsion to help anybody anymore as far as like, I, I wanted to help people. But now I wanted to help people that wanted to help themselves. Mm-hmm. I would help people appropriately. Right. Come in right. and say, you need a job. I say, oh, you know, I hope that works out for you. And, you know, if I know of a job, I'll tell you of one, but I'm not going to go do everything for you. Yeah, so you're not rescuing. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it was a different. Yeah, as you can see, I still want to help. It's, it, it's a difference. Yeah, it's from a, if it's from a healthy place now, not from a place of lack, but a place of like being healed and whole. Yeah. Right. So that was really cool. And then yoga. I did yoga pretty regularly pre-COVID. I went to a place and did yoga. One of the most effective tools, because you really need a body-based practice, because you cannot think your way out of trauma. You have to learn how to feel safe in your own body. So for us, when we've been sexually abused, when we've been, our bodies to us are like prisons. We don't know how to just, you see me fidgety. I still struggle with weight. That's, That's another issue I have to like deal with. But you see how that belief that my body is bad, you're constantly trying to kind of like quiet that down. When you're doing yoga, it's you silence the mind. You're so in the body and the body's safe and it's powerful and it's it's calming. So good for the neurological system. And it's been found time and time again in every study they've done to be like the number one effective treatment for depression, anxiety, more than medication, more than anything. So yoga you need a body-based practice. If you say, I don't like yoga, then do martial arts, do Tai Chi. 
there's a lot of different things that you can try. Swimming, walk, take a walk. I mean, you got to find something body-based. You have to have support. I did a lot of webinars, a lot of education. That's my thing. Just to understand. Journaling, dream work. That was a big one. Because really, I learned about my traumas through my dreams. I had been having recurring nightmares all through the PTSD. And it's like my nightmares were screaming at me to pay attention. And so I wasn't getting good sleep every night. I'm like waking up and being killed. I'm being chased. I'm being abused. I mean, there's just so many things. What I realized one day, I woke up from a dream. It was like the grandpa dream, but I didn't know it was my grandpa. But I I had like this urge to go to look at old pictures. And as I'm looking through every picture, my, my grandpa has the hat and flannel shirt. And I realized that dream was him. And so then I called a cousin and she shared with me, she, um, all I said to her, I said, you know, grandpa died when I was like eight. I said, so I don't have a lot of memories, but you're older than me. I said, what do you remember about him? Cause I didn't want to lead her. She goes, well, I don't really want to talk about it. She goes, cause I'm sure you wouldn't want to hear about it anyway. And I said, actually, I would love to hear if you're willing to share, but it's totally up to you. And she shared with me that he had abused her. And as she's telling me about the abuse, I can feel it in my body. Like she's like, he would do this and that. And I would, I could feel it in my body when he would do that to me too. And she told me she had never told anyone. I was the first person she had told, and she's older than me. So I shared with her about mine and she, she apologized. It's not her fault, but she, you know, she felt bad. She's like, I just thought it was just me because that's what we think. Offenders do it to us. But no, they have lots and lots of victims throughout their life. And I'll tell you this, they've all been abused. Right. All offenders have been abused. So anyway. So where does the inner child work come in? When was that introduced to you, the inner child healing? Was it part of the EMDR therapy or was it a separate healing and a healing modality in of itself for you? How did it get introduced to you? The biggest thing I would tell anybody And this is the thing that I learned. And this is the biggest gift that I've gotten. Um, I'm still imperfect. I still have things to work on. But I learned to be intuitive. I learned to trust my intuition. I'd always had it. I just didn't always trust it. But every time my intuition led me, it was right when I listened. And so, you know, along the journey, I'd get these little bits. And it was like, I'd really reluctant. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then it would be right. And then, you know, I'd call family member and that was right. And then I called my cousin and that was right. And because I kept doubting everything, you feel crazy because you've been denying this your whole life. I learned along the way just to start trusting my intuition. So I went to EMDR to deal with something, one of the memories, and it was a really tough session and I couldn't get it resolved. And she's like, look at this little girl. She's, do you see, she's just a little girl and it's not her fault. Cause I was like, in the, in the moment I was like, If she would just do better, what's wrong with her? She's a piece of crap and she's awful and I hate her. And like, that was the mode I had tapped into because you have to go through all these emotions that you do get through them, but it's, it's tough. So she's like, but don't you see, she's just a little girl. I'm like, no, if she would try harder, it wouldn't be so awful. I just kept doing that. And then somewhere along the way, I don't know what she said or what happened, but I, I softened and then the adult me came in and protected her and told the men, you are never going to touch her again. I'm here now and I'm going to protect you and we're going to call the cops and you are safe now. You know, it was just like, I just encapsulated her and supported her and loved her. And that was my own. You just kind of, that was the path that I took and it Mm -hmm. worked. And so then I, I just, 
I kind of stumbled on that inner child work. And so I started using it on my own, you know, just kind of at first I didn't really like that little girl. The EMDR therapist wasn't the one who introduced the inner child, like language and that perspective to you to call in the adult and to console her. She didn't even guide that. that She didn't guide their process. This came naturally from you. Right. They don't, they don't typically with, if they do it right, what they do is they teach you how to get safe in your body if you're having an issue. So first few sessions, they have to teach you how to calm yourself because stuff's going to come up and you're going to need to be calm. So it's a lot of like positive imagery, how to ground yourself. And then once you start, basically they do the either a finger or a light and then they just check in with you. You're, you're doing the work. They're like, okay, what do you see? Okay, I see my mom. My mom's mad at me. Oh my God, I see the man. Okay, well, how do you feel? Okay, go with that. Okay, you That's guys can see her, say. but as she's saying that, she's moving her finger back and forth yes. in front of your eyes from left to yes. right. Okay. But it's, it's weird because it's kind of like a movie and you don't know where your brain's going to go. So mm-hmm. like, like I said, if it's, if it's a belief about helping or fixing people, I, I mean, I was coming up with memories I had completely forgot, but they were all associated in my brain somewhere. Mm-hmm. She, all she does is say, where are you at every so often? It's like two, three minutes. You just do this and she kind of watches your body and make sure you're okay. Okay. Where are you at now? Well, I see my brother. Okay. Go with that. That's all they do. They don't tell you what to think or occasionally like that time when I was stuck. Normally I just kept, would keep going, but that time I was stuck and I just kept saying she's awful and I hate her. And she's like, but she's just a child. So I guess she kind of did guide me a little bit in that way, but that's Mm -hmm. really, most of the time I did it all myself, but she held space for me. I don't Mm want to, I don't want to undermine that because it's huge because I, there was Mm -hmm. a time I was going to throw up. And mm-hmm. like how are, and I was such an intense session. She's at the end, she's like, Oh my God, I felt all of that. So I don't want to undermine that, but they don't, there's this whole false memory syndrome from years ago. Did you ever hear about that? I did. Yeah. Okay. So the daughter accused the dad, the dad was a upstanding well off him and the wife, the wife is in denial, created the false memory foundation. Well, a lot of the people that got involved with that foundation were pedophiles. Okay. I didn't know the back story. I just knew that the false memory era where all these therapists were getting accused of like implanting the idea that they had been abused and then they really were it and that they had suppressed memories, but I didn't know that this backstory. Oh, wow. Oh yes. One of the members on the board or whatever was stupid enough to do an interview and say, what's wrong with pedophilia? It's just loving kids. We should be able to do it. Yeah. And it, it's been a long time, but a lot of these people, mm-hmm. what it was is they had enough money, their kids later remembered, and then they denied it. So, but it really, they just, they just disbanded like a year ago. Oh, wow. But the, but the problem is, you know, at first you think you're crazy. You have to keep breaking down these walls and you doubt yourself every second. And it's designed that way. Your parents do it to you. Your friends do it to you. I mean, it takes a lot. You need somebody that's going to say, yes, I believe you. That's the role the therapist plays. They believe you. They help guide you. But she never said, oh, you know, did this happen to you or no? I mean, and so I think that because of this false memory syndrome back in the day, it's been around a while. When you go searching on the Internet, that's what you find. You know, it's like it doesn't mean a thing to me because I know because I learned 
to trust my intuition because it was always right. It doesn't bother me anymore. But I know a lot of people are going to have to get over that hurdle because they're going to come across it. And, and you know what? Some of these people say they're, you know, prestigious or whatever. No one knows. You know. Follow your own gut. That's the biggest thing. People will try to tell you because it's based on what they can handle and what they think. Or I love when people are like, oh, mothers don't do that. Mothers are wonderful. Hmm. It's very black and white thinking. Yeah. And I just, I, I, now I dismiss it for what it is because I know better. I know that that's, that's their stuff. That's their bias. But when you're already taught to doubt everything about yourself, it's very difficult when you come up against those kinds of things. So yoga, journaling, dream work, sometimes messages would come I, or I would realize what I needed to work on and get this. Let me just say this real quick. As I would heal, I remember constantly being chased, being all these terrible things happening to me in my, in my dreams. And then as I healed and I had a breakthrough, the next dream I had, the guy came to me and I'm like, oh, hold up, buddy. I'm coming after you. And I have the knife now and I'm going to chase you. You're not going to mess nice. with me. And mm-hmm. it was like, I realized that it, deep in my psyche, I felt stronger. Mm-hmm. I could protect myself now. Right, right. It wasn't just a superficial thought. It, I felt mm-hmm. it. That's incredible. So now fast forward, you have turned all of these experiences into part of your purpose and you have founded thebetterplace.com. Tell us more about The Better Place. And then then after that, the Divine Feminine Alchemy Group. Okay. Thank you for putting up with me. I know I'm kind of a scatterbrain and it's something I'm working on, but I'm a long way from perfect. There's nothing to put up with. This has been, I know that there are women out there, men and women who are going to listen to this story and are going to be able to relate. It is what it is. And we heal by telling our story and right. we give other people the courage to come forward and seek help and see that, you know, they're not the only ones going through this. It gives them courage. So this is not a scatterbrain thing or any other. You told your story very clearly and with the details that a lot of people are not brave enough to share. This is what it's about. So you're doing great. Yes. So tell us the beautiful things that are born from this now. Yes. So I started the get better place with the intention of having like a lifestyle community, eventually a program. I mean, this is all very new to me right now. I have people basically, they contact me and I just kind of help them for free. People will hear me on a podcast or find me and just kind of reach out. Oh, Hey, can I ask you some questions? Absolutely. So right now I'm still trying to figure out in what capacity. Ultimately I want to educate about repressed memories or if you don't want to, I don't even like that term. It's like you forgot them, you stored them away. But I'd like to educate about that because I I still am so amazed that the brain can do that. It's really self-protective in a lot of ways. And I know that there are women out there that have little bits coming up and they're suppressing, or there will be people that nobody will listen to them. Or who the hell do you even talk to about this stuff? Because a lot of people are going to shut you right down out of their own shame and guilt or whatever. So the whole goal is to help women in what capacity. I'm not sure yet. I'm really comfortable just talking about whatever. If women call me or, you know, want to talk, I just kind of let them talk and let them share their story and kind of give them feedback and, and maybe see what might help them and kind of help guide them on their healing journey. So yes. So 
you can visit my site, thegetbetterplace.com, or message me is even better. It's, it's a work in progress. I still am working and got the kids, and it's kind of a part-time fun thing that I'm doing. If I can help, I'm happy to help. And then I also have the Divine Feminine Alchemy Circle. It's a little more lighthearted. It's a spirituality transformation place for women who want a safe space to talk to other women about whatever. We want to talk about raising our kids or our struggles without judgment. And also we explore dream work. We just explore Reiki. We have Vilma and Christy, Vilma Shitty and Christy Martin, and they each are very talented and have their own things that they offer. And then we have guests on like yourself, because I feel like women need to have options. That's the one thing I learned when I was healing is that you have to use your intuition and you have to explore what works for you because everybody's different. Somebody may swear by something, it may not work for you. Keep trying, don't give up. You may try 10 things and go, this isn't for me, but the 11th thing may be, ha ha. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it feels like you're not getting better. But then if you look back, you really have mm-hmm. processed a lot. So the Divine Feminine Alchemy Circle is more about spirituality, meditation, growth. We have a Facebook group where we talk about things we do. Christy does tarot cards and breath work and Reiki sessions. I talk about my trauma and the healing and mind body because I do physical therapy too. So I talk about that, like postural exercises and things people can do. I talk about the inner child work. So I talked to my inner child, got really comfortable with it. So I recently have been writing with my non-dominant hand to let her speak. And mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And then the dream work I'm sharing. We're getting ready to have a dream work session where I help people learn how to interpret their own dreams. So that's exciting. Yeah. Because we really need to interpret our own. We can have some help, but a symbol to me may not be the same thing to you. Exactly. So, but there's so much wisdom there. So, so we do a lot of things there. But it's really just a supportive group where women can come together and share without judgments. They can talk about difficult issues. They can explore different ways to get in touch with their spirituality. Like we had you on there and you were telling us about, you know, what you're doing. And so I feel too that sometimes we resonate with certain people. And so by having this group, we can just have a woman see you and say, oh my God, she's my person. I may not be her person or Christy may not be her person, but you might be her person. And she sees you and she said, oh my God, look what she's done. I get her. I'm going to reach out to her. Or, exactly. Or and so feel that's like the that's same approach. That's the same approach I take with a yeah. podcast. What the tools that worked for me on my healing journey may not be the tools that worked for, that will work for you, but I want to bring you all the tools. So when you, you're like, oh my God, that's my person, then here they are. Go take off running, hit them up and get on it because it's all about just getting to that place where you feel happy and fulfilled and seen and in community and however that comes to you it doesn't have to be through me it can be through whoever's on this podcast just as long as it gets to you that's all i care about and it's the, it's the same approach is to curate yes yes and i think when you see like it's possible that's the biggest thing is when i saw the first woman that had talked about her memories and like she how difficult it was but she was better like, okay, mm-hmm. it is possible. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like, is it, I don't even, there's no roadmap here. I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, is this even possible? I think we need people that have been through it because it's like, you're not going to trust somebody that hasn't been through it. They don't really know. Exactly. So, so yeah, I love mm-hmm. what you're doing and I love that you've been on your own healing journey and I love your shamanic wisdom and you know, I'm getting into that a little bit more and then really finding a lot of peace with it. It's something I really have always kind of fiddled with, but never really given myself to. And and recently I was thinking divine feminine, 
I've always been very comfortable with giving, not receiving. I'm learning to receive from the earth yes. and my trees. <laughs> yes, yes. And it so feels good. good. So. And you're offering a free one-hour session on inner child healing or dream work, right? If listeners contact you and use the promo code NatalieOneLove. So if you hear it and you're like, you know what, I've been through some tough things, you know, I've, I'm really good at helping people with the parents. If you've had parents and it's been a toxic relationship or you've had been sexually abused, we can tap into like some dream work, some inner child work. You can ask questions about that, your past, if you want. And we can just talk about some techniques for, for where to go from here. I can kind of help guide you and kind of show you some of those those tools. Great. 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 Well, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I have, I don't, don't want to say like truly enjoyed the conversation because I feels like <laughs> weird to say given yeah. the topic, yeah. but I'm grateful for your bravery through this to be now, to have the courage to share your story and the courage to to face all of the healing that needed to take place and now to even show up in a way and to show up in, in a way that you can support other women with this. You could have just healed it and that closed the door and moved on and and that's it. But to now turn around and wanting to be a source of support for other women is a big thing. So just thank you so much for doing that for yourself and for your children and ending generational trauma and for your family and your partner. And it's just, it takes a lot to just say it ends with me and no more pain. And now how can we help each other and eliminate this from the world? So just thank you for showing up the way you're showing up because what you did today and sharing this story is going to give people so much hope and bravery and courage. It's just going to, it's going to really have a trickle effect. So I just want you to know that that's what's happening. And this is really what, what you're doing. It's a big deal. And I see you and thank you for that. I hope that we continue to be in each other's lives in some way because you are amazing. Well, back at you. I'm still growing and I'm still like, I feel like things are just falling into place. Like you just want people to know it's possible. And like, yes. the more I, I give up the resistance and the, and I, I accept things like, like you came along, like at the right time and the tree. And it's like, and now I'm just, I get these messages and I feel like I'm just kind of waking up spiritually. I feel like I, I dropped the baggage and now I can like really come alive and Yes, because that's what happens when we do the work. And I've mentioned this, and I think that probably the, I think the first episode I ever recorded is the reason why I'm so passionate about the healing journey and doing the work. And when you do the work, we drop all the baggage is because all of a sudden now you have all this available bandwidth for really cool, happy stuff. <laughs> like all of a, yeah, like all of a sudden your mind is not like just like over is not it's not all these things that don't serve you aren't taking up space anymore. All of a sudden you're like, oh man, I healed all these triggers. I'm feeling pretty good. I have more bandwidth to hobbies and nature and magic and spirituality and creativity and arts and love and this and that or life purpose. Like all of these other things are now available to you because you're not bogged down by all of this conscious and unconscious crap. 
And so that's where like the possibility and the pachanga part, that's like the celebration part of the equation where you're like, yes, now the party begins, the pachanga begins because I'm on the other side of this. And it's not that like, oh, I'm done healing, but hell, life is a lot better. It is. It is. It's like I call it remnants now. Like I clearly have a lot Mm -hmm. of things to work on, but I, I don't forget to look at how far I've come. Exactly. When I start getting frustrated, I just look and I go, oh my God, look how far you've come. And by the grace of God, exactly. the grace the of, of the universe, or it's like something has been guiding and helping me along the way. And so mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's possible. And it's cool too, like connecting with people like you. There are people out there that care and that do want to help. And I think we, we see so much of the opposite that we forget that. But when you start looking forward, it comes. So. Yep. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Appreciate namaste. you. <laughs> yes. Namaste, my friend. All right, y'all. It is a wrap. Bye. Good night. Thank you guys for being here. I know that your time is the most valuable thing you have. It means the world to me that you're here. There are many more cool episodes coming. So go subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If this episode inspired you, please leave a review so this show can reach more people who need healing. Thank you for being here. I love you guys. See you in the next episode.